I want to start with a confession. This will not be a great expository sermon. It will be a more of a confession of my failure to walk at God's pace, my failure to engage in weekly rhythms of rest. One of the reasons Angela and I felt called to come to Dort about three years ago was, of course, to be able to be engaged with worship and music and theology, but actually a desire in our hearts to engage in rhythms of life that would support the flourishing of our family. The day before I started at Dort, remember this, July 2020? I got caught in Sioux Center working on the Sabbath. No, my neighbor wasn't one of those neighbors that actually called the cops on me because I was mowing. I do hear that occasionally happens in Sioux Center. You've heard about that? I was struck with the decision. Starting work on Monday, we moved, had international move, had family in town, and we had six rooms that we wanted to paint before we started unpacking boxes. I arrived on a Saturday night and started work on Monday at 8 a.m. And I had a question. Should we as a family check out a new church during a global pandemic, which was slightly confusing of what church to go to? Or should I use my four in-laws to help me paint six rooms? Well, guess what? We streamed to church, our home church, online, and then got to work painting. And... A little bit after church, we had a knock at the door. Dr. John McKinnis and his lovely family brought fresh baked cookies. They didn't catch us in our Sunday best after church. They caught us with paint all over. And I started to make an excuse to Dr. McKinnis and, and his lovely wife and, and children. I started to say, well, John, we just needed to get this done. And then instead of actually making an excuse, I just blurted out, John, can I paint on a Sunday in Sioux Center. And with a little bit of smirk and a glimmer in John's eyes, he said, you can, but you should pull the blinds or the curtains shut. <laughs> True story. For me, I was, I was wrestling with this passion or calling to embrace a weekly rhythm of rest, but also all the stuff that needed to get done before Monday at 8 a.m. when I started a new job. My first full day in Sioux Center, I got caught working on the Sabbath. I felt I didn't have enough time to rest. And I realized this struggle isn't just me, but actually a number of management and leadership books over the last few years have been studying the workplace in the U.S. Titles such as The White Collar Sweatshop and The Overworked American are bestsellers in highlighting that other countries in the world, in Europe and Asia, are beginning to mandate, require vacation and rest for employees. Americans continue to overwork. We don't take vacation. We don't rest. Technological advances, guess what? They've given us unlimited opportunities to stay connected. Oh, I could just send one more email. I can just make one more text. I can just click one more to-do thing off my list before I get into work at 7 or 8 or before I get into class. Do you feel the need to always be working? Why can't we just relax? Why do we have to feel the need to always produce, to be on? Why can't we take a Sabbath? Why can't we just take one day a week off? 
I asked a few students, I messaged a, yeah, a half dozen or so, what's the biggest barrier to you receiving gifts, God's gift of a day of rest every week? Do you know what they said? Homework. And then another one said homework, and then another one said homework, and then another one said homework. And then one said balancing classes, student employment, social activities, and homework. Professors, should we be giving homework over the weekend? Flip that. Students, should we push all our homework to the last minute of the last day of the weekend? When I asked colleagues this, they said a few different reasons other than homework. I was surprised that, yeah, there wasn't, grading didn't come up. One of them said, the NFL gets in my way. I was trying to keep this anonymous, but everyone knows that was Sam. The, the others said, the idol of productivity. I believe, this is from one of our, our faculty, I believe that I only deserve rest after I get enough done. You ever feel that way? Another said, similarly, I feel guilty that I should get something done instead of resting, and then I feel guilty about feeling guilty about resting because I know I should rest. This vicious cycle of guilt. Another said, I can't rest because for me it's about trying to win love through performance. Another said, church gets in the way of my rest. Serving, working, and volunteering in church prevents me from true rest. Where do you fit? Any of those resonate with you? Are you someone who does receive God's gift of rest every week? Or do you just take a day of rest when you feel you need it or deserve it? Do you only take days off when you have to, when you feel so exhausted, so overwhelmed, even sick, that you can't physically go on? I've been there. Are you exhausted? Do you feel like there isn't enough time? For me, the biggest barrier to embrace God's rest was actually seeing Sabbath as just another Christian task to get done. And then, I was in northern Iraq in 2019. That wasn't my first time, but I was there with a diverse group of about 200 believers, mostly from the Middle East, parts of the world we just prayed for. There were Messianic believers, Palestinian Christians, Kurdish believers, Turkish believers, and we were there to pray, to worship, and to grow in our, our knowledge of theology and understanding of worship. And one of the last evenings, we began to pray for Baghdad. At that time, there were lots of teenagers rioting in Baghdad, and so we were up in the north and just began to pray. And as we were praying, we began to sing that song, Waymaker, by Sanak, by a Nigerian Christian. We've sang it here a number of times. Do you know this? Even when, what is the, what's, the, what's the bridge on that, guys? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. And as we sang this, we were praying for Baghdad, a, a young Iraqi Muslim, college-age student from Baghdad, comes into the room, feels drawn by the power of God, and makes a public confession of his faith in Christ. I mean, think, picture this for me, missiologist and worship leader. Like, we were singing in 12 or 13 languages with hundreds of people from parts of the world that usually aren't able to be drawn together because of political reasons. I was psyched out. I was excited. And then we saw a, a, a glimpse of the answer to our prayer as someone encountered the power and presence of Jesus. And so, 
After he shared that, we sang that bridge another 10 or 15 times that, God, you're working even when I don't see that you're working. And like after every conference, we went out to dinner afterwards, right? Very important. We were, eat, we were drinking chai, eating some great hummus, and downing a few shawarmas, and a Jerusalem-based Messianic believer came to me and said, Jeremy, I know you're a scholar of worship and theology. I just want to mention something to you. And as he said that, I got excited. Like, is he going to encourage me from my excellent multicultural worship leadership at that gathering? Or is he going to say, wow, you are very theologically astute to proclaim the active God of the Hebrew scriptures. But instead he said, Jeremy, I know you're a scholar and you love worship, but I have a problem. And he said this, you Americans may believe God never stops working, but as a Jewish Christian, I believe in the God who rests, the God who stopped working. And my community celebrates this every week at Shabbat on Sabbath. For me, that comment broke through all my Sabbath struggles. I realized that my issues with Sabbath weren't a behavioral issue, a needing to add something, but were a theological issue. I thought to myself in that moment, who do I think I am that I don't need to rest when the creator and sustainer of all things rested? I had a wrong belief about God. In that moment, we actually jokingly rewrote the lyrics of, of that song. Do you want to hear them? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Except Shabbat. It's when you stopped working. A side note, I'm not trying to critique the song. I'm trying to highlight my own need for a reformation of my theology and practice of a day of rest. I've always approached it as another godly duty. One more thing that I had to do. Yet the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God rested. How does this core belief of God, the God of rest, reshape your life? It convicted me of worshiping an idol of productivity, an idol of my own control. I didn't worship the God who rest, rested. I was worshiping, in some ways, the God of the American work ethic, the God of production, the God who never stops working. My theological anthropology was drawn from my culture and my experience and didn't emerge from the earliest parts of Scripture. You know this view of the God of rest is highlighted in the creation narrative and even in the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God. Let's look at Genesis 2 just for a minute. Thus the heavens and the earth were complete in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God's not overworked. He doesn't demand that his image bearers overwork. In the story of creation, he models that the well-being of creation doesn't depend on endless work. One of the great Old Testament theologians who writes on Sabbath, Walter Brueggemann, says it this way. God is not a workaholic. God's not a pharaoh. God does not keep jacking up the production schedules. To the contrary, God rests confident, serene, at peace. God's rest, moreover, bestows on creatureliness, it includes us, a restfulness that contradicts the drivenness of the systems of Pharaoh. The culmination, the climax, the goal of the creation liturgy of Genesis 1 spills into Genesis 2. 
It's rest. It isn't as God's tired and needs a rest from six days of hard work. His rest on the seventh day instead is an invitation to resist an endless cycle of work and embrace a rhythm of rest that realigns who we are and what we do. Reflecting on Genesis 1 and 2, biblical scholar John Walton just says it this way, rest is the main goal of creation. Our rest is coming under God's rule, and our rest is coming under and recognizing he is sovereign. It's a bit like a reset button every week where we regain God's perspective through a break with normal activity. If you do have your Bibles, we don't have it on the screen, but flip back a few verses before Genesis 2, right at the end of Genesis 1. We see that human beings were created to what? Dort students bear God's image, right? And they were given a mandate to cultivate creation and develop its potential to take good care of it. Yet before we see humanity's successes and failures in that task, what do we see? God resting and God blessing a day of the week to separate from work. A rhythm of rest is deeply connected to our earliest mandate. We heard last semester from Sam and Aaron about Jesus being called into the wilderness before he began his first acts of public ministry. Or we heard about the disciples waiting in the upper room. Yes, they had the great commission, but they were waiting in the upper room for the outpouring of the Spirit. And these passages in Genesis 1 and 2, for those image-bearing creatures, us, that our identity and mandate remind us that those flow from the place of rest, our commissioning and calling are actually forged in that place of rest. The place of God's shalom, the place of God's rule, that's where we remember whose we are. By observing a day of rest, we're not doing what I was trying to do, just have another check thing on my little good Christian. Actually, we had buttons in the Assemblies of God that if you come every day, you get, if you get all five buttons and you get something. I wasn't trying to get another button, a little, to get a treat at the end, but instead, I was imitating our Creator's example by observing a day of rest. Rabbi Abraham Heschel says it this way, the Sabbath is not for the sake of the weekdays, the weekdays are for the sake of the Sabbath. It's not an interlude, but the Sabbath is the climax, the peak of living. We aren't using the Sabbath as a rest for the work, but maybe more like the Canadian rock band Loverboy reminds us, we're working for the weekend. Okay, maybe not quite. Tom Wright in our Godspeed video this week says it this way, Sabbath is where God's time and our time intersect. By ceasing and by desisting from work, we receive the blessed gift of God's grace, reminding us that he's in control, not you, not me. And in a sense, we need to do the God's speed before we do the God's stuff, engaging weekly in rest. And there's so many passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament on days of rest and the Sabbath. But let's just look at one more before, before we close. And this one really answers a little bit of the why question. Why do we rest? Why does God call us to that? It comes at the end of Exodus, Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you, the generations to come, 
so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath. This is verse 16. Celebrating it for the generations to come is a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Why are we called to engage in a weekly rhythm of rest? Verse 13, to know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. A number of biblical commentators highlight how this regular keeping of the Sabbath serves a purpose for our benefit. To help us along in a deeper understanding, an embodied understanding of who God is. In a sense, with this passage, you can flip it around. Not ceasing from work is equated with not knowing God. When we constantly work without embracing the gift of God's rest, we cut ourselves off from another opportunity to know God. That was me. Singing, you never stop working. I embraced that a work ethic to never stop working was what I needed to embody as an image bearer, a false idol of productivity instead of the triune God of grace who rests. I had to ask myself a hard question. Do I trust God enough to embrace a gift of a different pace than my culture and even sometimes the churches that I worked in embodied. Earlier this week, one of my colleagues asked this question this way can I, about Sabbath. Can I trust that God can do more with six days than I can do with seven? And as I, I start to wrap this up, I want us to consider just some of the things that Sabbath is not. See, a day of holy rest is first not recharging our batteries like a phone to be used up again. I say this sometimes at the end of the week. Oh, I just need a day off. Oh, I just need a break. That's not really the heart of Sabbath. This view places the emphasis on work. And God's rest is a way to simply enhance efficiency at work. Philosophers would see this as an Aristilian, Aristotelian view of philosophy. Thanks, Gail, for helping. It's not a reward either for hard work. That's some of us. I worked really hard this week. I deserve a day off. That view often comes from I need to perform to get rest. I'm loved or rewarded by what I do. That doesn't sound like the grace that we see in our triune God. It places the emphasis on us and the overall quality of our work. It's also not a day to be lazy. Sometimes it's, oh, I'm tired of this work. I'm tying, tired of this calling as a pastor or a professor or a student. Jonah kind of slept under this idea. Like, remember this? He runs from his calling, and where do we find him? In the Belly, well, in the belly of a whale, but before that, in a ship, right? What was he doing? Asleep. There's a sense of sleeping can be to rest or escape what God has called us to do, and that's not it either. It's also not a day to be alone. There's a place for solitude, a place for silence, a place for personal retreat within the Christian tradition, but weekly Sabbath is often celebrated with family, friends, and community. Instead, we're invited every week to a day to rest, to rest in, to be renewed by, and be realigned through 
communion with God. And this is a communion with God where we're known outside of our duties, outside of our titles, outside of our responsibilities, and our need to produce and perform. You say, Jeremy, what do I actually do then? Well, we didn't have time to cover all the Sabbath rules in Scripture, the words of Jesus on Sabbath, Jesus' own sleeping in a boat, the idea of the Holy Spirit resting upon us, enthronement and its connection with rest, or Sabbath practices of the first Christians, or the implementation of the Lord's Day. That's stuff I would have loved to chat with you about. But let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's think of all those rules around Sabbath. And most often, these rules, these guidelines, are laws about what not to do on the Sabbath. Yeah, there's a few regulations, a few rules, but most of these are the don'ts. And if I was trying to summarize all the don'ts around Sabbath, I'd say that they almost all encourage you to cease from your normal labors, to stop working. And then, out of that place of ceasing, find life-giving ways of remembering God's sovereignty, his rule, his coming shalom that is breaking in through his image bearers, both in our work and is breaking in in our rest. There's a lot of things we could do. And as I ask those questions to, to our community around what are barriers, I also ask, what are some of the practices that you, your family, your community intentionally engage in for rest. And here's some of the ones that came up. Slow meals with other people. Games with a friend or family. Deep conversations with someone. Prayer. A cup of coffee in silence, sitting under a warm blanket. Scripture reading. A walk outside, enjoying God's creation with a friend. Nap. <laughs> Amen. No email. Amen. <laughs> no screen time. That's a tough one, but good. Also, corporate intergenerational worship, joining the body of Christ. If Sam would have got his in time, he would have also said, join us for the table, a time where we're spending about 24 hours together to feast on the Lord and enjoy one another's. As you look at these, which of these connects with you? What's a practice maybe you'd, you'd add? What might joining in weekly rhythms of rest look like for you? Maybe a full day is too big a step. Try one of these. Try a couple of them. And then reemerge, reengage with your work at a whole different pace, a slower pace. Allow a day of rest to help form and set the pace for everything you do the entire week. Christian author Tish Warren questions this way What if Christians were known as countercultural community? of the well-rested, people who embraced our limits with zest and even joy. I would say it this way, what might the rest of your life look like if you worshiped the God who rested and received God's gift of rest each week? Let's pause for a moment. God who rested, help us to receive your gift of rest. Before we rush off to lunch, to the meeting, to the next assignment, check the email. In these few moments, may you also reform us into your image bearers. 
image bearers who do work can serve, but also who rest. We need you, Lord, Lord of the Sabbath. May you be glorified.